Welcome to the Support Recovery Podcast, where we speak with parents, counselors, ministers, and other professionals to provide you with the most effective ways to support your loved one who's struggling with addiction or any other life-controlling issue. Dare we talk about spiritual discipline without the man, the myth, the legend that is Richard Foster? Jesus. Oh. Oh, I mean, also him. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He has plenty to say about this issue. Well, you ready or not, Michael? Oh, uh, yeah, man, I'm ready. Of course I'm ready, Skylar. So welcome back to another episode of the Support Recovery Podcast. Today, Michael and I are going to be discussing a couple of spiritual disciplines that are really helpful. Um, we, we talk about spiritual disciplines a lot around here just because yeah. we found them to be incredibly helpful for uh, growth for families or, or for parents or especially for students who are trying to come out of addiction and, and live in recovery. Um, and they're just a normal part of the Christian life, which is also what we promote here. So we're going to be talking today with Michael about uh, two particular disciplines. One is confession and one is guidance. And uh, so I know Michael has a lot of wisdom to share, especially about the first one. So would you just give us, Michael, an introduction to that discipline, confession? What is it? Yeah, absolutely. So confession typically would be defined as a formal statement admitting that one is guilty of a crime. Okay, so I think a lot of times we think confession in the context of... Um, like Law and Order, <laughs> right? You know, those those cop TV shows or special right. victims or uh, uh, what's that crazy? Criminal Minds. I'm thinking like, yeah. Yeah, I have a. If if the amount of serial killers that they catch on that show really existed, this world would be an absolutely terrible place. That show's been going on ten years. They catch one a week, you know. So it's like you know hundreds of them. Anyway, um, so uh, confession is defined again as a formal statement admitting that one is guilty of a crime. Um, and uh, another definition of it is to declare openly and to speak out freely. Um, so that's kind of what okay. what what a confession actually is. Why, in, in this context, why are we considering it a discipline? Because the word discipline, I think, for a lot of people is an, almost a negative word. Yeah. So why is it a discipline to c- confess or to, be, like you said, become open or honest or to confess a crime? or you know? Yeah, so when's the last time you had somebody confess something to you? It doesn't it, happen a lot. Right, so that's why it's a discipline. Yeah. Because it's not something that just comes naturally to us. Yeah. Um, you have to put yourself in a position where you flex that muscle, quote-unquote. Um, you know, it's like anything. Again, I, I equate things to running a lot, and and I used to run a lot um, because of uh, here in, in inside of Teen Challenge, we do half marathons and full marathons with the guys. So I just think of, like, anyone can run a half marathon if you start the process of training for it. You have to actually get out and start flexing those muscles. Those muscles become stronger. They become uh, more teachable, quote-unquote, and then it becomes easier to do it the more that you do it. Does that make sense? Yes. So that's why uh, it would be considered a discipline because it's not something that really comes naturally to us, but it's something that we should be doing, and there's a lot of biblical evidence to support that. You know, I, what comes to mind as you say that is the reason it's a discipline and the reason it doesn't come natural to us is because it is so hard and there is a risk involved. Sure. You go to, you know, if you're, you're struggling with a particular sin or addiction or whatever it is, to confess to someone is to say, like, here's the, some of the deepest, darkest things about me. What will you do with that information? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but, but hope that they'll, you know, get, offer you the grace of God in the middle of it. It's kind of like handing a... I, I think the feeling of it is like this. If you're a parent... Um, I remember when we had uh, my two kids, you know, we're at the hospital and the nurses like hand you the child 
for the first time and you're like, oh boy, yeah. <laughs> here we go. That's kind of almost what confession is like. You're handing someone something that is very precious to you and you're kind of exposing yourself to whatever's going to come with it. So whether it's the potential for ridicule, um, mockery, um, or any of those things that come with it, or if it's acceptance, understanding, and willingness to walk through that process with them, no matter what, you're put, you're opening yourself up to something that can potentially hurt you or grow you. So that's why I think it's so risky. Right, right. And so what I'm hearing he- here is that, can, you know, based on what you've said so far, confession is something we do uh, as a way to admit we've done wrong. Yeah. Or or just a way to admit that things are out of control for us. Yeah. Which those two kind of go hand in hand. But but yeah, sometimes you're not just, sometimes you're confessing, hey, I've screwed up in this area. Yeah. Other times you're confessing, I have no idea what to do. Yeah. This is how hard life is. Yeah, yeah. And, and they go totally hand in hand. And think about, uh, again, who we work with. Um, in, in this world, how many people are willing to say, I did something wrong, yeah. right? Um, most of the time, so think about all the times you hear someone confess something, someone admits their failures, their shortcomings or wrongdoing. I would say probably 90 to 95% of the time you hear it in the news today. Okay, so I'm not talking the spiritual context. It happens after the fact. Yep. It happens after Tiger Woods is caught cheating his wife finds out now he exposes all these things it's always after the fact and the collateral damage that happens after that is monumental because you didn't say something when you could have had the help to get through it or even had those thoughts to walk down that trail in we're talking the context of sin now right a lot of people say well you know it's sin it's this is sin that is sin well is it because if I haven't done it, but I'm thinking about it, right. that's not actually sin. That's the pre-contemplative state. I haven't actually acted upon that. That's where you should be confessing those things. Look, man, I'm having I'm having uh, feelings towards another person. That's not my spouse. Yeah. I'm, I'm worried about this, right? I'm looking at something I shouldn't be looking at. I'm drinking a, a couple of drinks too many. I'm whatever. It's, it's recognizing, man, I got I to gotta put this out there because something's off here. And before right. it gets worse... I'm, I'm, I have to put it out there so I have support and help because we think we can make it better. Right. And 99% of the time, we're going to make it worse Absolutely. because there's shame, there's guilt, and all sorts of emotions and feelings that come alongside of that that suppress us from actually effectively walking through it. Yeah. I think of the book of James says, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you might be healed. Yeah. You know, idea being confession in itself is the precursor to healing. Yes. You have to admit that something's wrong yes. before it can be treated. Yeah. Right. Well, and it's, it's good to know. Uh, I mean, I, and I've got some, some scriptures um, uh, that I wanted to go through as we talk about this, but Romans three twenty three tells us for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So ultimately all of us have done something wrong in our life. Yeah that we need to put out there. And a lot of times we want people to just accept us. I just want to accept you for the way that you are, and that's it. That's great. I do accept you for the way that you are. That doesn't mean that these things don't need to get right in our lives. So what would you say, you know, if this is a new idea for someone, which even for for many Christians, it's it's an idea that's new because it's not something that's been in practice or not something that's been talked about much maybe in where they go to church. Sure. Um, what does confession accomplish? What is the goal of confession? Why do it in the first place? Does that make sense? Why, why even do it? Well, I mean, confession is a really freeing thing to do. Um, you know, it's 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 exposing something and putting it into the light. 
um, that you think, again, is this ugly, dark, whatever it is. And when you put it in the light, it's exposed and you're going to find healing in it. So confession, a lot of times, whatever you need to confess, you're typically experiencing a counterfeit of something. So whatever it is. So you're in a relationship that's in an unfaithful relationship. So now you've broken a covenant. Okay, with with your partner, with your spouse, you've broken a covenant before God, and you're living in this world where there's there's unfaithfulness going on. All right, um, so when you're exposing that, you're putting it to light, and it's not going to be able to live in that light, and and that's why it's a difficult thing to happen. Because, and again, I'm using this one example. Sure. Um, it's it it's not going to live. Um, it's not going to live in that. And ultimately, we have to come to our heavenly Father and confess our sins to have relationship and covenant and communion with him. So we need to practice that with one another and practice it with him, our heavenly father, so that we can have healing. Cause there is a ton of healing that comes with confession. So it sounds to me like the goal of confession is to find healing, but it's also to experience uh, the unconditional love of God, unconditional love, which brings that healing. Oh, totally. Um, and I saw, and that what's interesting is when you think about it, it seems like the reason that someone wouldn't confess is because they're scared that that love will be conditional. They're scared that they will share a part of themselves mm. and it won't be received or accepted. But by not confessing, by keeping it inside, they don't even give themselves the opportunity to find out if they will be accepted and loved in the first place. Sure. You know, so it is a risk regardless. Um, and along with that risk, I mean, how would you recommend someone uh, begin this practice? How would you recommend uh, them finding someone that's safe to 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 begin? doing this work of confession with, you know, how would you recommend beginning? Well, there's, I think there's two types of confession that, that we need to, to think about. So the first one is before man, and the second is going to be before the Lord. So I want to read something here that um, Professor Ryan Griffith of Bethlehem Seminary wrote, and I think it's just, uh, I think it kind of uh, summarizes kind of what we're talking about. So uh, confession of our sin before God also acknowledges our very real need for his sanctifying grace. For though we are manifestly set apart as God's own children, 1 Corinthians 6.11, we still sin, Colossians 3.1-11. Thus, confession is part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. That's why Bonhoeffer says that confession is discipleship. Yeah. So, and, and, but even just to go back, you know, as far as finding someone safe to confess to, I think that's where people get hung up because right. they think maybe, man, that does sound really freeing. Right. That sounds incredible. Yeah. But they've had experiences where maybe they shared a piece of themselves and yeah. someone, you know, they, they ended up, you know, for lack of a better phrase, casting their pearl before swine. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it was trampled on. Yeah. So how do you find that person or those people, that church that you can begin that process? Well, I, with? I think, um, all right. So I grew up in the Catholic church right. and I have there, I have a lot of wonderful things to say about the, the Catholic faith sure. and, and Catholicism. And um, confession um, is actively practiced within the Catholic Church. Um, I don't agree with some of the post-confession things and, and how that how that's handled, and that's more of a theological conversation, but at least we're getting to a point where we're confessing to someone, right? Um, but I think we need to recognize that the priest and the pastor are not the only people who are sanctified and separated for you to be able to confess to. Um, you know, if you're in a church, there's probably deacons or elders or... Um, the pastorship or the leadership, um, there's going to be people inside of that church that are going to be health theoretically in a, in in the world in a perfect world that are going to be healthy to communicate those things to uh, and to share those things with. So I would say find someone who you know has kind of stood the test of time um, that maybe you've talked to about other things or even looked for advice for, um, and then listen to. 
to what they have to say in the situation and, and, and pour out your heart to them. Uh, Richard Foster has a book called The Celebration Discipline. It's uh, packed full of just gems. Uh, I highly suggest reading it. If you're at a place where you want to really deepen your relationship with the Lord, it goes through outward disciplines, inward disciplines, and community disciplines. And obviously confession would be considered a outward discipline and somewhat a community discipline as well. And uh, in it, um, he talks about, I'm going to totally butcher how how he wrote this, but I'm going to kind of paraphrase. He said, if we're the receiving party of someone confessing, our job in that is to receive that as Jesus would and to hear it, not judge it, but love that person through whatever's going on. Um, so let the person get it out and not say that, well, how could you? Right. I mean, how powerful it is when a child does something wrong or they've broken a, a, a plate or mm-hmm. wrote on the wall, how powerful it is when they're met with a hug and they know, I love you still, yeah. and we're going to get through this. I mean, how powerful that is. I mean, how powerful is it if we apply that to the lens of addiction, to the lens of unfaithfulness or any of the things that we deal with when we talk about confession um, and and love that person through the process, man, that's powerful. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's, to me, that seems like the main motivator is that when we come to confession, we're coming ultimately to God who is not angry at us. He's not, his love is not conditional. He's not saying, well, you've just done that thing one too many times, or I'm right. just so sick of this. Right. His arms are completely open. He's ready to receive. He's ready to heal. He's, he's ready to love us. Uh, without reservation. Yes. Uh, so even in even as a community discipline, that's our job on the receiving end. When someone comes to us in confession, says, "This is where I'm at. This is my, here's my sins. Here's my problems." Yeah. Our job is to be the voice of God to that person and to, and to receive them with grace and love. Yeah. Uh, and to accept them and not rush to find solutions and not rush to tell them how they shouldn't be doing things, but just to simply embrace the fact that that's what's going on. Oh yeah, and Newen even writes in the Prodigal Son book that um, the world's love is conditional, yeah. completely. I love you if blank, okay, if you provide for me, um, if you put clothes on me, if you feed me, I love you if you give me a job, I love you if blank, 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 right? There's always an if, and man, that is like, yeah. I, and I love even in God's word when he says that like the, the wisdom of man is foolishness to God, like that's where we're at as a people. We love people if I'm getting something from them. There's some benefit in it. God's love is not that. It's not conditional, so when we confess to him, he's looking at us and saying, but you're still my boy. Yeah. You're still my girl, yeah. and I love you so much. And I think it's crazy to think that our Heavenly Father doesn't know the things that are going on in our life because he made us. Sure. He sees it. So it's crazy to think that we have this fear of confessing when our Heavenly Father actually already knows what's going on because he sees it. It's just verbalizing, I've known this all along. Thank you for putting it out there. Let's walk through this. Because you give it life. So think about that. When something's hidden, it's alive in us, but nobody else knows that it's living. But when we put it out in front of people, we think it's this big, like barking, right. you know, bear or something, right? I don't yes. think bears bark, but you know, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's it, it's roaring. How about that? We yeah. think it's this big thing, but when we put it out in front of people, it's more like a little chihuahua. You know what I mean? It's it doesn't have the power that we thought it had, yeah. um, and. You totally expose it, and it can't live, and it and it it slowly withers away. Or you choose to not accept the grace and forgiveness that comes with confession, and choose to accept that because you can't live without it. You become codependent with it, and you can't live without it. That's not healthy either. Yeah, man. I just I think there's a lot of there's deep comfort to be found in that when you are able to confess to God, knowing He is your Creator. He understands the dynamics that have led you to where you are. He understands where you went off. He understands where your circumstances were difficult. And He's closer to you than you are to yourself. He sees it. So 
Well, a, a discipline that goes hand in hand with confession is guidance. Yeah. And this is another one of those disciplines that Richard Foster mentions in his book, Celebration mm-hmm. of Discipline. Um, and so going hand in hand. Now, what's really interesting to me is these two disciplines, they've been part of recovery uh, work for a long time. They've been yeah. called different things. So we can talk about confession as uh, you know, admitting that uh, my life is unmanageable, the first step of the 12 steps. Right. Or confession, this whole act of having a sponsor. I mean, it's pretty obvious that this is par- has, to happen has to happen in recovery. Yeah. Uh, for Christians, this has been part of our tradition for 2,000 years, right? right? Yeah. So, so in, in confession uh, and in guidance, um, we can really find healing. So it, now let's talk about guidance. What is the discipline of guidance or seeking guidance? Yeah, so I mean, guidance is really admitting that I don't know it all, <laughs> and I need someone to help me walk through these things. So I want I want to read something that Foster writes here. So Foster writes, but uh, and this is in the act of confession and then bleeding into guidance. Yeah. Okay, so um, he writes, but if we know that the people of God are first a fellowship of sinners, first a fellowship of sinners, we are free to hear the unconditional call of God's love and to confess our needs openly before our brothers and sisters. We know we are not alone in our sin. The fear and pride that cling to us like barnacles cling to others also. We are sinners together. In acts of mutual confession, we release the power that heals. Our humanity is no longer denied, but transformed. Okay? So think about as we confess, we're transformed because we're not doing it alone anymore as that bleeds into guidance. Because now I'm being transformed into recognizing I can't do this by myself. I need people to walk through this with me. So guidance is almost like the follow-up to confession. Completely. I mean, well, think about like, okay, we go to school in the United States. We go to school K through 12. And a lot of times now we're in preschool. Okay. I, you know, I, I looked at, I remember when, again, when I had my, when I had my daughter this time. Okay. So that my second child, I remember, um, you know, as she grew up. And I remember feeling like I could do nothing for my child until she was like one. Yeah. I feel like I, I just couldn't do anything because she's nursing, she's whatever, and I felt like I'm just changing diapers. That's all that I'm doing, right? And then she hits a point where I feel like I can impart stuff now, right? Yeah. And I can see her growing. I can see her learning. I can see her doing all these things. And I go, man, that's awesome. So we, we live in a culture, and even as parents, we live in a culture where we guide our children. We are, we're entrusting our kids with teachers, with educators, with all these different people, right, with going to church and hearing sermons, we're totally comfortable in a community environment to be guided by other people. But for some reason, we stop and don't ask for that for ourselves because it's like it's it's groupthink. You You go to the movies and if the movie stops working, look at a theater packed full of people. If the movie stopped working, no one gets up to go make to go say, hey, this thing stopped working. It's just groupthink. Someone else will do it. Guess what? No one else is responsible for your well-being and your spiritual life but you. So take control of it and go find people who can pour into you, who can guide you, and people who you can ask honest opinions of. And those opinions are going to be met with honesty. They're not going to be met with, you're an idiot, how could you even think of these things, whatever. They're going to be met with, I see where you're coming from on that. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, I, I talk to my dad a lot and just say, hey, what do you think about this? And a lot of times he won't even respond. He'll just go, well, will you tell me? And I know he knows the answer, but he's guiding me through whatever situation I'm in to get me to a place where I have understanding and complete understanding. That's what guidance is all about. We find that in people who are guiding us to a place of wholeness 
And we find that even more in our Heavenly Father as He draws us into Him. Oh, yeah. That's so much of the work we do with the guys here yes. at, at Teen Challenge is we're not, tell, we're not gurus giving them answers. No. We're pointing them back to God, back to the, whole, the work of the Holy Spirit inside of them and saying, you know, yeah. you know, let's walk. I mean, sometimes we have to help give them language to what they know. Yeah. Oh, and Derek will even ask the guys, well, how's it working out for you? You know, and that's like just the best question to ask somebody. Okay, so you were smoking meth for three years and blah, blah. How's that working out for you? Right. You know, and that's great guidance to say, man, think about the circumstances. Think about the situations you're in. And again, guidance would be considered a discipline because right. it's not something that we do naturally. Right. Because you're admitting, think about this. So we live in this complete empowerment culture worldwide, right? I can do anything. We live in this complete empowerment culture worldwide. We could do anything. We could be anything, right? We could do all this stuff, right? That's great. And all of it is about me. It's not about me saying I don't have the answer to something and I need help to grow through it. That's why it's a discipline because we're not comfortable asking for somebody for help. We're just not. Having it all together, you know, like we we have a a look. I mean, there's places I go that I I look around and go, man, I don't fit in here. And it's because there's a look to everybody that's in there. And it's almost like this we, we don't want to become mindless drones. We want to be able to go talk to people who are going to draw us deeper right. and push us and challenge us. The greatest people I've ever had in my life have all been able to do that for me, and I was willing to grow and hear from those people. I think, I think it's really powerful. The, the idea of you having to be willing, and even what you said just a few minutes ago about you have to take responsibility for your own spiritual growth yeah. is really a, a big deal because oftentimes the way we approach those things is we go to a new church or, or the, our present church or wherever we are in life, and we just kind of expect those people to, like, show up like we're in some kind of movie, like the wizard pops up and gives you the magic, you know, <laughs> yeah. or something like that. But the truth is... You're you, a wizard, Harry. You have to stand up and you have to go actively say, hey, I see your life. You're, yeah. you're doing something amazing, and I, I want to learn from it. Yeah. And you have to pursue those people as well. There, there are so many people who, what my father-in-law would say, the, the third or fourth lap of their life, right? If life is built in 25-year blocks, okay? So think of, you know, uh, over 50, over 60, over 70, whatever, who have just a ton of experience that we should be reaching out to and asking questions with. You know, find the little old lady at church who's just been through it all. Man, how did you get through these situations? Have you ever experienced these things? I just have questions. Find the 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 men. I mean, find whoever it is that you're going to feel comfortable with. That when you and there's people you know when you look at them, this guy's got something going on that I need to know. I mean, I've met those people in my life where I go, man, there's just something about this person that I want to know more about. F- flesh that out. Find out who that person is, and get to a place where you are comfortable asking those questions if it's the right person. Now, there are unhealthy relationships or unhealthy churches. There's unhealthy a lot of that stuff, okay? So understand as we're communicating with this, I'm not saying finding a church, leaving a church, whatever, that that's what you should be doing. You need to assess the situation that you're in. If it is a healthy environment for you to confess in, if it's a healthy environment for you to find guidance in, then stay planted where you are and grow from it. If it's not, and you're not finding that there's growth or opportunity, even if you're putting yourself out there for those things, at that point, you have to use discernment and say, maybe I have to take a step and find whatever the the, the, the the flower bed that I need to be planted in, I have to find where that is. Absolutely. Does that make sense? Absolutely. 
because I'm not a proponent of just we jump ship right. when things get uncomfortable. Um, I have I, I like to stick things out, and and you could be in a great environment and not even realize it because you're not asking questions. Yeah, I've ex- I've personally experienced that where you uh, you think to yourself, well, I can't be vulnerable, so I can't confess, I can't seek guidance because I know where this road leads. I will be rejected. Right. So you kind of just you know presume upon people that that's what they'll do. But before you can before you can say, hey, this isn't this place isn't a healthy place to do this. You have to actually attempt it. You right. have to actually say, hey, here's what I'm dealing with, and hear the response. Well, and I think we have to be careful of the community that we confess and get guidance confess to and get guidance from, because if it's the wrong environment, that's where church hurt can take place, sure. right? And I've said this a thousand times: churches don't hurt you; people hurt you. Okay. They are not operating as this all-powerful church. They're human beings that have done wrong to you. So don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, okay? You're in an environment where you open these things up, and it wasn't met with the response that you thought it would be met with or what we're talking about. So that does not encompass everybody. So now it's this, like, weird, well, screw everybody. I'm getting out of here, you know, and I'm going to go do this on my own again. Michael and Skylar told me to do this, and, oh, fail, whatever. No, that's not what we're saying. We're saying you have to flesh those out because those people do exist. Because I've experienced those people in my life who who have met me with grace, complete grace and love, and walked me through those things. So make sure you find the right people to do that. So make sure those people are going to receive you as Christ receives you with love and mercy and a willingness to say, I love you enough to walk through this with you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and maybe one of the most difficult things is finding, uh, finding that place or those people because yeah. it yeah. does inevitably in the meantime require you to kind of test the waters out. Yeah. You may have to share even just a little something about yourself and see how it's received. Yeah. If it's not received well, you kind of get the idea, you know, that you have to make another change. If somebody does, you can share a little more. So that's what's hard is this isn't a black and white. Right. Uh, this is what a good community looks like. This is what a bad one looks like. Right. Each church community is filled with, with good and bad. Yeah. Uh, and and it's a it's a process. Totally. It's it's a, it's a walk that you have to it's it's a trail you have to take to to find out. Is this a healthy environment for me to, to grow in? Right, and that's not an overnight process. Right. You know, like you said, it, it will take time. Um, you know, and make sure you're not walking into a situation going, "Hi, I'm Susie, and my kids are all on drugs, and my house is burning down." Or you know, because that that's going to be met. The right people might be in that room, sure. but it might be what with man, who is this? Right. What the heck is going on? Right. You know, it's 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 like uh, you know, lighting a firecracker and throwing it into a room and letting it pop, and then walking into the room and saying, "Hey, how's everybody doing?" As opposed to saying, "Hey, everybody, have this firecracker. Would you like to see? Would you like to see what this does?" You know, it's making sure you're doing it the right way, Absolutely. and it's going to look different again for everybody. Yeah, confession and guidance, they're not, uh, there aren't tools that you use as like to make people sounding boards. They're not right. tools that you use to, to use other people to make yourself feel better. Right. They are tools for growth. Yes. So if you're interested in digging in, doing the hard work of growth, these are for you. Yeah. If you're only interested in, my life's so bad, I need to be a victim right now. Uh, and sometimes we feel that way, we need to voice that. But if yeah. that's if that's your long-term goal is I just want people to let me be who I am and, and justify my problems. Right. These are that's not what we're talking about here. Well, and so and again, that wraps up into into the concept of identity, right? So we talk all the time about when we're dealing with addiction, our identity can be wrapped up in the the person that is dealing with the addiction. Um, if we're confessing things, if we're looking for guidance for the point of what you just said, like I'm a victim, uh, this is this is who I am, all of a sudden you've just created an idol. And I just said that. So take that in for a second. Yeah. 
You created an idol in your life because that victimization, where you're at, all those things are more important than you finding healing and you coming into communion and relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to really think about that. It ain't worth it. It's almost self-worship in a way. Completely self-worship. And you have to to be willing to, yes, I'm here, but I'm trying to get past it. And, And it goes back to finding that community of people who are not at the same place you are but knew how to traverse that territory and are willing to walk you through that process because idol worship is not cool anywhere in God's word. Right. It's just right. not. Right. Pretty sure it's one of the Ten Commandments, right? You have no God before me, and you're making it a God because that identity yeah. is more important than the freedom. So, and, and so we'll, let's talk about that for a second. I didn't sure. even think we, we were going to go here with sure. this, but we're going to go here. So um, a lot of times people think are, are being a father, being a husband, uh, being a mother, being a spouse— being a sibling, right? Uh, being Italian as I am, all these things. All these things are our, our identity, and that it's not. Yeah. It is not. Yeah. All those things are things, and they're all going to pass away at some point. Our identity should and needs to be rooted in who our God and Savior is, period. Yeah. That's first. Our mission, a lot of times in ministry, right? Pastors, people within Teen Challenge, that becomes our identity. That ain't my identity. Being the director of a Teen Challenge program is not my identity. Being married to Wendy, being a father of my kids, none of that is my identity. My identity is I was bought with a price. I'm a son of Jesus Christ. That is who I am. All of these other things is just what I do, who I be, all these things. That's that's just what it is. And we can't put something above who we are in Jesus and what he's done for us because we're discrediting the work of the cross and how much Christ loves us when we do that. We have to get to a place where we're comfortable knowing those things. And I think that's so much of the work of when you choose to go down the path of confession and finding someone who can guide you, it is that person who can continually remind you these terrible things happened to you. You've experienced this trauma. You were a victim of these problems. Right. But at the end of the day, that's not the truest thing about you. Right. Right. Yeah. And oh, so yeah. whether whether that's yeah. whether that's trauma or whether that's your ego trip about your job yeah. or you know your enmeshment with your your spouse or codependent yeah. behavior or addiction even. Yeah. Whatever those things are, that is not the truest thing about you. Man. At the end of the day, that will all go away. Yes. And you are God's beloved. Dude, that is so good. Yeah. That is so good. And and how how we get to a point where we can accept that and hear that. Man, that's a tough place to get to because you are you're sacrificing something yeah. in your world, but it is worth sacrificing. Yeah. It is worth putting out there. It is worth doing those things. You are not identified by those things. You're right. Yeah. Man, I love how you said. That. I've never heard you say that before. I love how you said that. That is yeah. not the truest thing about you. Yeah. 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 It's just an experience we're having right now. Yeah, absolutely. Man, this has been really good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is this has been awesome. Again, we've been talking about uh, confession and guidance. Again, these are these are su- subjects that have been um, paramount to recovery work for the last you know however long people have been doing recovery work, and then it's been part of our Christian tradition for the last two thousand years. Yeah. Um, we just strongly recommend you guys uh, dig in, find people that you can have healthy conversations with, you can confess to, you can seek guidance from. If you have any questions about the show or about things we talked about today, feel free to contact us or email us, and uh, we'll see you again next time. The Support Recovery Podcast is sponsored by... Ozarks Teen Challenge, a 15-month residential program located in Branson, West Missouri. If you're a parent, relative, or friend of a young man who is struggling with addiction or other life-controlling issues, please call Ozarks Teen Challenge at 417-272-3784 for more information or visit them at www.ozarksteenchallenge.com.